Hello, and welcome back to the Anything and Everything podcast, a show about anything, everything, and all that's in between. Rowan, say hi. Hello, how are we? We're so good, Rowan, thank you. How are you? I'm doing wonderfully. You know, we're here, we're making a podcast, what more can you want? What more can you want? It's too true. And uh, seeing as last times ran so long on that one scene, we're going to take scenes two and three today with a continued analysis of Romeo and Juliet, Act One. We are, and we're hopefully not going to go for two hours straight this time. Hopefully, but uh, you never know. We're already almost a minute in. It's crazy. Anything can happen. Anything can Anything happen can when happen. you believe, when you believe. So today, joining us, we have, um, of course, Hunter, who is... Uh, making a little bit of a ruckus in the chat room um he is he is isn't he he's making quite the ruckus <laughs> hey hunter hey of course he can't speak but um don't diss me like that says hunter too late buddy too late <laughs> just gonna have to be lived with and not too cutting that late, bit out buddy. in post okay too late buddy wow. too late buckaroo so all right um, do you have a quote? Do we have? I was gonna say, do we have quotes to share? We do. Um, I suppose I will go first. Go on. Um, my quote is from a beloved child's book author. That's not English. Um, Doctor Seuss. <laughs> no matter sure the name. how sure many times you say name. that, it's gonna be why Doctor Seuss of all the. Because listen, I looked up quotes. Quotes <laughs> about love. What is this? 140 love quotes. Scroll down to about number 11. Oh, look, it's a quote that I like. Oh, look, Dr. Seuss. Crazy how that works. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> we, we do put a lot of time into the preparation of this show, folks. Like, don't... So much time. We, we spend so where, much where time. Where would you get the idea that we don't? Like, we're clearly so professionally prepared. Let me read my quote before we uh, get, go, go on a tangent. You know you're in love when you can't fall asleep because reality is finally better than your dreams. I think it's very cute. What happens to the people who are in love who do fall asleep? Uh, I gotta hope <laughs> things get better. <laughs> but this guy who's just found the woman of his life goes three years without sleeping until they get a divorce. Oof. Ouch. <laughs> Ouch. Ouchie wouchie. <laughs> and my Ouchie quote wouchie. from another little known author, um, not sure if you've heard, William Shakespeare. Haven't heard actually, please inform me. Enlighten me. Well, well he's this uh he's this little poet um from England back in ye old good days, Elizabethan era. And he says he, the quote he has to give us today is all that glitters is not gold. Although ninety nine percent of it is. recall that last part i it's a director's edition wow what a quote <laughs> love it love it <laughs> he wasn't as smooth as everyone makes him out to be i I'm, I'm i'm starting to gather i'm starting to pick up on that as we'll find because today act one scene two are you ready to hop in i'm so ready let's do it Act 1, scene 2 begins as any other scene, only we don't have a prologue this time. Enter Lord Capulet, a nobleman named Paris, and a servant. Now, Paris doesn't belong to either house. He's um, just kind of there. Uh, he before, doesn't... Before, we begin, before we begin the scene, not to interrupt, should we uh, give them a synopsis? 
Synopsis is always good. Shall I read it or would you like to? Um, I can read this one. Oh, go on. Count Paris, a kinsman of the prince, tells Capulet that he wants to marry his daughter Juliet. Capulet's a little reluctant to agree because his daughter is so young, but he tells Paris that if he can woo Juliet successfully, then he'll grant him permission to marry her. To help his cause, he invites Paris to a party they're having at the Capulet house that night. Capulet then gives his servant a guest list for the party and asks him to track down and invite the people on it. The servant, who is illiterate, asks the passing Romeo and Benvolio for help reading it. Realizing that Rosalind, the object of Romeo's unrequited love, is on the list, Romeo and Benvolio hatch a plan to attend the party, even though it's at the enemy house. For his part, Benvolio is convinced that when Romeo sees Rosalind with all the other beautiful young women of Verona, he'll realize that she pales in comparison. Excellent stuff, excellent stuff. And we open up the scene, as I've said, with uh, Capulet and Paris here. Shall we begin? We shall. Let's do it. Capulet says, But Montague is bound as well as I, in penalty alike, and tis not hard, I think, for men so old as we to keep the peace. And then Paris promptly responds with, Of honorable reckoning are you both, and pity to be lived at odds so long. But now, my lord, what say you to my suit? But, saying or what I have said before, my child is yet a stranger in the world. She hath not seen the change of fourteen years. Let two more summers wither in their pride, ere we may think her ripe to be a bride. Younger than she our happy mother's maid. And right there before our first big old uh, speech of the scene. So, Capulet begins, but Montague is legally bound to keep the peace by Prince's Edict, just as I am. This shouldn't be difficult for two old guys like us, two old gentlemen, to keep the peace. To which Paris responds, Of honorable reckoning, or like reputation, general opinion, are you both, and pity, tis you lived at odds so long. Tis, as we'll find, is a contraction. Um, <laughs> good old contraction. He did this a lot, because, you know, he was writing in good old iambic pentameter, so he had to, for the most part, keep it to a good ten syllables. So, um, and he can't bother wasting those on simple words like it and is. So he combines them into one, um, in this case, tis. So whenever there's like a tis, um, or it's, uh, it's in Capulet's first little, uh, little chunk there too as well. Um, it's just, it is. So, um, essentially what he's saying here is you are both honorable men, have, have honorable reputations, and it is a shame that you've been at odds, you've been enemies for so long. Um, but now, my lord, what say you to my suit? Um, suit could be interpreted similarly to pursuit or like my request. So he's essentially saying, what do you say? What, how, what is your response to my previous uh, request, which we were not privy to? Excellent. To which Capulet responds, um, but saying or what I have said before, but I'll repeat what I said before because you don't seem to be able to listen. My daughter is so young. <laughs> She's so young, not yet 14 years old. We should at least wait two more years before she marries. And of course, you have the um, let two more summers wither in their pride ere we may think her ripe to be a bride. Lord Capulet, um, agricultural metaphor. So he's comparing Juliet to crops that they will ripen with time. And a uh, couple things before we move on. We have a little rhyming couplet at the end here, that pride and bride. Um so that's well, that's really fun. And then uh, where he says, ere we may think her ripe, ere essentially means before. Just kind of putting that out there. Um, and then Paris, oh, okay. And then Paris replies, younger than she, our happy mother's maid, 
there are girls younger than her happily with children already. Excellent stuff. Excellent stuff. And then we have this giant Capulet speech. Well, I say giant. It's okay. It's giant. (laughs) And too soon marred are those so early made. The earth hath swallowed all my hopes, but she, she is the hopeful lady of my earth. But woo her, gentle Paris, get her heart. My will to her consent is but a part. And she agreed, within her scope of choice, lies my consent in fair according voice. This night I hold an old accustomed feast, whereto I have invited many a guest such as I love, and you among the store, one more most welcomes makes my number more. At my poor house, look to behold this night earth-treading stars that make dark heaven light. Such comfort as do lusty young men feel when well-appareled April on the heel of limping winter treads. Even such delight among fresh fennel buds shall you this night inherit at my house. Here all, all see, and like her most, whose merit most shall be, which on more view of many, mine being one, may stand in number, though in reckoning none. Come, go with me. And I'm going to stop right there. There is a little paragraph. A little bit more, but that is... Yeah, so <laughs> that's a lot. It is, it is, and so good old proverbs in that first line. And too soon marred are those early are those so early made marred meaning damaged. Um, in disagreeing with Paris's argument that girls even younger than Juliet have made happy mothers, Capulet puts a clever spin on two proverbial expressions. Well, the first one marriage will either make you or or ruin you implies that marriage brings either happiness or sadness and it's hard to predict which will occur the second proverb is less enthusiastic about marriage marrying is marrying in other words marrying ruins your life marrying is marring i should say whoops but um yeah so a lot of wordplay in in, uh, in the fun. first sentence of this speech. That's how you know that this um this will be painful to analyze. That, and that's how you know that he's trying to. Uh, that's how you know Capulet's a nobleman. He's his he's speaking in the most convoluted ways. He has a lot of rhyming couplets, which essentially emphasize key moments in the speech where he wants Paris to listen up and essentially provide attentive ears. Wordplay. The earth hath swallowed all my hopes, but she, she is um, the hopeful lady of my earth. More clever wordplay, making a pun on earth and hope. Um, The earth hath swallowed all my hopes, but she... That is, Juliet is the only one of Capulet's children to survive. All of his other children are buried, swallowed by the earth. And when he says she is... (laughs) They're pretty dead. Um, They're pretty dead. She is the hopeful lady of my earth. The expression lady of the earth refers to an heiress who will inherit a large estate. So this is only... This is his only surviving child. The hopeful, promising Juliet, represents Capulet's last hope. And he's protective of her, reluctant to just hand her over to Paris when she's his only hope to like continue the bloodline and inherit his estate, blah blah blah. <laughs> of course. Um, so then he continues with, uh, but will her general Paris get her heart? My will to her consent is but a part. <laughs> Shall I take that or would you like to? Uh, you can take that. I fully just like stepped on your thunder there. <laughs> no, no, no. My thunder was meant to be stepped on. 
Um, <laughs> but woo her gentle Paris get her heart. So that's very self-explanatory, but, you know, court her. Actually win her heart. I'm not going to just give her to you. My will to her consent is but a part. So um, even if I agree... I have enough respect for my daughter where if she disagrees, that's it overrules. Of course. So essentially, like his permission um, is only part of her decision to marry him. So she has to actually agree and want to marry you before I will give my consent and my permission and essentially seal the deal. Excellent stuff. And she agreed within her scope, freedom of choice, lies my consent and fair according agreeing voice. Which amounts to, but if you can get her consent, then we have a marriage agreement. But I'm not just going to hand her over. But I'm not just going to hand her over, which is actually a good fatherly thing to do, I'll imagine, for this time period. Yeah. Surprising to see. Where to I have invited many a guest such as I love, and you among the store, one more most welcome makes my number more. Would you like to do that? Uh, sure. So... This night, I hold an old accustomed, long-celebrated, traditional, annual, essentially just traditional feast, whereto I have invited many a guest, such as I love. So, um, I have, tonight, I'm having a long-celebrated feast um, that I invite many people to, many people that I love. Um, and you among the store, one more, most welcome, makes my number more. So he's essentially, you're just, you're one more who is very welcomed to add to the number of people already attending this party or this feast. Um, Excellent. At my poor, humble house, look to behold, expect to see this night earth treading stars that make dark heaven light. So here we have earth treading stars in reference to um, the beautiful women that will be at this party. So a little bit of wordplay there. And then um, you also have that like, dark heaven light little wordplay because heaven is um typically seen to be this like bright whatever um, this bright, bright whatever <laughs> expert analyzation <laughs> i'm doing great so um dark heaven light yeah you got that um <laughs> there you go so um starting from one more most welcome makes my number more i here we go. Here's English for you. At my modest little villa, you'll see girls so dazzling that you'll think the stars have come down to earth and brightened heaven itself. And you find yourself among these sweet-smelling girls just as blooming just blooming into women, I assure you. Come join and, you know, take it all in. Go after whichever one you like the best. You might find that among all these lovely women that my daughter Juliet is just one in the crowd to you. And then he, of course, says, come walk with me. Love to see it. So here, and then he uh, gives one of his servants a list and continues. Oh, but before that, we have before a that, metaphor? A metaphor? Is that a metaphor? No, a metaphor? Well-appareled April? My goodness. On the heel of limping winter. Oh, my God. Oh, my geez. Okay, so essentially here, Capulet personifies the seasons. Um, Well-dressed month of April, appropriate since, you know, the plants are sprouting and turning green, approaches quickly and treads on the heels of old winter, who's slowly leaving the scene. Capulet compares the girls at the party to fresh fennel buds. Fennel is a fragrant herb whose uh, yellow flowers come out in the springtime. So it's a fitting metaphor for perfumed young girls just blossoming into womanhood. 
as we've wow. seen. Yeah. No, oh, no better way to put that. I, I do apologize to all those cringing out there right now. The way Shakespeare talks of women in this play really puts a lot into perspective. <laughs> like, dang, man. And wow. right, because there is so much going on here. Oh, this so, actually, so, so now that I look at it about, say, stay, this extends into the, um, into the little Syrah bit. So I'll just read that and go on. Go Syrah, trudge about through fair Verona, find those persons out whose names are written here, and to them say, my house and welcome on their pleasure stay. Okay, so we have rhyming verse here um, from the initial part that we just analyzed into the bottom but rhyming verse it's another example um because the character is speaking of romance almost all lines in capulet speech are rhyming couplets it's just so beautiful i love some rhyming i love when <laughs> poetry rhymes a little bit too much a little too much yeah so you've got that um which on more view of many mine being one may stand a number though in reckoning none Come go with me. And then we've got a split line here where um, you have a stage direction. Um, and then the next line continues that line of verse. Go, Sirad, trudge about through Vera Verona. Find those persons out whose names are written there. And to them say, my house and welcome on their pleasure stay. So you've got those three little um, couplets. Excellent. Um, and that say and stay ends out that speech. And Capulet and Paris promptly exit. So, and then we have servant. Would you like to take it? I would find them out whose names are written here. It is written that the shoemaker should meddle with his yard and the tailor with his blast, the fisher with his pencil and the painter with his nets. But I am sent to find those persons whose names are here writ and can never find what names the writing person hath here writ. I must to the, whoa, I must to the <laughs> learned in good time. So essentially here he's saying that he's told to find these people on the list, but he can't read. Um, so he can't read the name, so he has no idea who he's supposed to go to. Um, and he has to go find someone who can read. And um, coincidentally, we have Benvolio and Romeo coming in. Ex excellent. So there's um, actually a little bit to go into here. Uh, metal, busy himself, last. Uh, well, let, let me read it here. Find them out whose names are written here. It is written that the shoemaker should meddle or busy himself with his yard measuring stick and the tailor Wait, with whip. his last, his foot mold, and the fisher, fisherman, with his pencil, paintbrush. So there's a lot There's a lot going on right there. But uh, there's also a lot of innuendo as well. Don't you love it? Don't you love to see it? We love it. We love an innuendo. There are so many here. <laughs> innuendo, metal, yard, last, pencil. So the servant has a problem. His lord expects him to know what's written on the paper, but he can't read. To express this exasperation, he tries to recite from memory something he knows is written down. It's a famous passage by uh, John I be Lily. I believe I'm saying that right. Can we get a pronunciation on that? Rowan, could you look up L-Y-L-Y -L -Y for me, and then John before it, and see how that's pronounced? L-Y-L-Y? L-Y. The name is John Lily, L-Y-L-Y. Anyway, he's a playwright, competitor of Shakespeare, and he wrote in a very elegant literary manner. Shakespeare makes fun of his rival by having the servant garble the sophisticated passage inadvertently using words with sexual meanings. To meddle <laughs> means, uh, <laughs> how do I put this? Um, to meddle means to, um, well, prepare for more cringing, folks. 
to meddle means to uh <laughs> pleasure oneself let's just say <laughs> no joke i, mean, I am i am not messing so so to meddle means to um pleasure oneself yard is um <laughs> yard is oh, Lord. an arousal and uh last and pencil are slang for uh you know i don't think we need to like, <laughs> male, male uh you, you get where i'm going here below the belt let's just say <laughs> hold on let's figure out the pronunciation of that name that we've long so- stopped talking about so john lily what have you found lily is it lily i think so hold on quiet for a moment yeah i think it's lily lily it is okay so john lily the playwright and as i just mentioned and okay one last thing to mention striking difference from the capulet speech where not only is he speaking in verse he's speaking in rhyming verse now we have the servant speaking in complete prose so when dialogue is in verse we observe the normal convention of capitalizing the first word of every line whether it's the beginning of a sentence or not that's how you recognize verse and verse in this play um is a heavy tool for analyzing rank social rank so, so when um, you can continue, sorry. No, go on. I I think you were gonna say you know when Capulet <laughs> speaks about the yeah. Uh, so when a nobleman or like a Capulet or a Montague, uh, like a lord or a lady, are speaking, they are going to be speaking in verse, um, to showcase their um, education, their wealth, their standing. And when um, someone of a lower uh, ranking, like the servants, um, aren't going to be speaking in verse, they're going to be speaking in prose to differentiate between the different uh, social standards, social uh, rank. Um, And then Benvolio, Romeo, some of those, they're probably, they're going to be a little, they're going to be kind of going back and forth between rhyming, not rhyming, but usually in verse. Yeah, and... um... Keep in mind, this is not a rule of thumb for Shakespeare. This is this play in particular. He does a bunch of stuff with verse and prose, which not always um, is about class. Yeah, he plays around with the um, forms a lot here. He does. And so now we have a... Sugar happy with verse. (laughs) He does. (laughs) Now we have a little stage direction here. Do you want to... Sure. We have Enter, Benvolio, and Romeo. If there is more... Tis not on my copy. Ah, you see, my copy says, Enter Benvolio and Romeo. Benvolio is advising Romeo on how to get over his love sickness. They do not notice the servant. Yeah, no, that's not on mine. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. Well, I was going to say Benvolio, but uh, do you want, who do you want to read? Go for it. You know what? I'll take Romeo. Are you sure? <laughs> yeah. I, I know you hate the man. <laughs> I really do, like with such a passion, but we'll bite through it. All right. So, Benvolio to Romeo. Tut, man, one fire burns out another's burning. One pain is lessened by another's anguish. Turn giddy and be helped by backward turning. One desperate grief cures with another's languish. Take thou some new infection to thy eye, and the rank poison of the old will die. Would you like to take that? Oh, yeah, sure. Okay. Um, so here, just right off the bat, you've got some alternating rhymes here, some A-B rhymes. So you've got burning turning anguish languish and that it ends off with a couplet i and i um so as we were saying with the um deciphering rank uh here he is in verse and 
We got a little bit of rhyming, different from Capulus rhyming, but still some rhyming scheme going on here. Um, but to take it line by line, tut man, come on man, essentially. One fire burns out another's burning. So start a new fire to burn out the old one. Um, if you want to get technical here, by uh, fire, you know, it needs oxygen. And when the oxygen is run out, the fire will burn out. So when you start one fire, it will take all the oxygen and the other fire will um, burn out. But he's using that metaphor to essentially refer to his um, need to get over Rosalind, but we'll get to that uh, in a minute. One pain is lessened by another's anguish. The pain caused by said new fire will lessen the other, or just in general, um, a new pain will make the old pain feel less. Turn giddy and be helped by backward turning. So we have a little word play here. Turn giddy, make your whoa, turn giddy, make giddy. yourself dizzy, <laughs> giddy, and be helped by backward turning. So essentially, spin, turn yourself, spin around, make yourself dizzy, and be helped. Uh, fix said dizziness by turning in the opposite direction. Um, not sure that's how it works, but he he thinks he's making a point here, so we'll allow it. Um, <laughs> One desperate grief cures with another's languish. A new grief will make you forget about the old one. Take thou some new infection to thy eye, and the rank poison of the old will die. Um, so yeah, another metaphor. Find, essentially, find a new woman to look at, and you'll forget about the old one. Um, so so take, take thou some new infection to thy eye. Find, another, find a new woman to look at, and the rank of the old poison, or the rank poison of the old will die. So you'll forget all about Rosalind. Uh, but Romeo here is going to take that a little literally. <laughs> With the next line, your plant and leaf is excellent for that. Uh, do we want to just keep going or talk Go about for that it. Thing? Okay. Benvolio, for what, I pray thee? For your broken shin. Why, Romeo? Art thou mad? Not mad, but bound more than a madman is. Shut up in prison, kept without my food, whipped and tormented and... Romeo and Benvolio notice the servant who has approached them. Good Ian, good fellow. Okay, that bit. Okay, so. We uh, have cultural references. Wow. <laughs> Wowza. Plant and leaf and broken shin. So right here, right in this little bit, Benvolio tries to convince Romeo to uh, get over his lovesickness by finding a new girlfriend. According to his silly way of thinking, one fire burns out another. A new pain lessens a current one, and a new eye infection relieves the one that is now bothering you. Which, of course, is flawed on so many levels. So many levels. Romeo seizes on Benvolio's last metaphor and jokes, A plantain leaf is excellent for that. The plantain being referred to as a small herbal plant which uh, grows in England and whose leaves were used for medicinal purposes. They must not have healing powers. Healing powers are excellent. We love them here. But Benvolio doesn't understand and asks at the everything. But Benvolio doesn't understand and asks what the leaves are excellent for. Romeo replies that uh, they're good for a broken shin, which is slang for a broken heart. Still not understanding Romeo's joke, because although we do love Benvolio, he is a bit dense. Benvolio asks if Romeo is insane. To which Romeo replies, Not mad, but bound more than a madman is. Shut up in prison, kept without my food, whipped and tormented, and... <laughs> Metaphor time. Um, oh, I heard... I, mis I, I misunderstood. So, metaphor. Um, essentially, he's saying here, bad, bound more than a madman is. He is saying he feels uh, tied up 
more than a patient would be in a mental hospital. Shut up in prison, kept without my food, whipped and tormented. So he's being tortured. He feels more locked up than an actual madman, a uh, somebody who would be in a mental hospital at the time. Yeah, and of course, and in Shakespeare's day, the mentally insane were generally locked away in prisons and were abused. Essentially. So that he's using that to describe what his heart sickness is doing to him. And then when he's interrupted, Goodian, good fellow, Goodian being another one of those contractions, um, shortening um, a multi-syllable word to fit his verse. Goodian, just good evening. Um, and then was there anything you wanted to add to that? No, let's go on. All right. Servingman replies, God gave... Whoa, okay, this is always a trip up. God gave Goodian. Um, I pray, sir, can you read? I, mine unfortunate and my misery. Perhaps you've learned it without books, but I pray, can you read anything you see? I, if I know the letters and the language. You say honestly, rest you merry. Okay. I, there is okay. a little bit there. I, I'm not sure we should. Let's pause. So. Okay. <laughs> God gig goo Ian. Good. Good Ian, not goo Ian. God Ian. That, that's all basically. Good evening. <laughs> May God give you good evening, except that's too many syllables for Shakespeare. Too many syllables. And he had to shorten it essentially quite a, well, not essentially. He had to shorten it a lot. Don't know why he couldn't have just said goo Ian. It seems easier to me, but whatever. Um, I pray, sir, excuse me, sir, can you read? So he's asking. He's not. He doesn't know who Romeo is. Um, and he just sees somebody, and he's hoping he can assist him in his uh, struggles. Excellent. And what does he do? He um, leads him in a bit of a whiny roundabout. He a says, <laughs> I am mine own fortune and my misery. Because Basically. He's <laughs> <laughs> no. What? No. Hunter. No. Don't look at me like that. Hunter, please. Hunter. <laughs> ah. Anyways. We have, um, I read uh, my own fortune in my misery, which, of course, is not what he means. And Romeo knows that's not what he means, but he's deciding to uh, not help society. And instead, <laughs> I know I, my contempt for this character. It's so strong. <laughs> it is. He's such a doofus. <laughs> All right. So servant replies. Perhaps you've learned it without book. But I pray, can you read anything you see? So for Shakespeare, whoa! For Shakespeare's time, many were illiterate. It was not common for somebody to be um, literate, very literate and very educated. And seeing as the serving man is not sure who Romeo is, doesn't know of his rank, his standing, he is um, wary that he is truth truthful in the fact that he can read. And Romeo is being angsty and evasive, so <laughs> angsty not really given. <laughs> Not giving the serving the servant much to go off of here, um, so he's uh, he's just asking, um, can you actually read anything, or can you only read like certain books, whatever, or and emotions? Romeo, exactly. Romeo says, "I, if I know the letters and the language, wordplay. Um, if I know the letters." So, in response to the servant, Romeo just. I hate him so much. Romeo, um, I know you do. I know you do. It's going to be okay. Yes, I can read in a language which I know, but the servant thinks that he doesn't know his letters, that is, that he can't read. So he starts to go on his way until Romeo calls him back, assuring him that he can read. 
Um, you say honestly. So he he does believe Romeo's say, telling the truth. He just doesn't believe that Romeo. He believes Romeo believes he can read his letters, but he doesn't believe that Romeo can read his letters. <laughs> yeah, and Romeo is um. He's engaging in wordplay that he knows is going to trip up the servant. He's just meddling with the lower class. But, and as, as they do. this is where we stopped. Romeo says, stay, fellow, I can read. To which he reads the uh, note given by the servant. Senor, oh, Senor Martino. Oh, this is the speech with a bunch of names in it. This is going to be interesting. Mm-hmm. Senor Martino and his wife and daughters, County Anzel, oh boy, Anzelim. And his beauteous sisters, the lady widow of Vitravio, Signor Placentio, Placentio, <laughs> in no no relation to Placenta, Signor Placentio and his lovely nieces, Mercutio and his brother Valentine, mine uncle Capulet, his wife and daughters, my fair niece Rosalind, and Livia, Signor Valentino and his cousin Tybalt, Lucio and the lively Helena. A fair assembly. Whither should they come? Okay. I'm so sorry my sister interrupted me. Um, How dare she? This is fine. No. Um, stay, fellow, I can read. He calls him back, of course, and he begins to read. Senor Martino. So this whole bit. Senor Martino and his wife. and a bunch of people. Yeah. <laughs> he... are not going to come up again. Remember, the piece of paper that the servant has is an invitation list. So this is just a list of names of people who have been invited to the party. Um, Notable characters listed here, though, are um, we've got Mercutio. Rosalind, um, Tybalt. Rosalind, Tybalt, Capulet. Um, about it. Everyone else. <laughs> Everyone never else never even it. speaks. Um, yeah, so... After that, he says, um, quite an impressive group, essentially. Where are they all going? Serving man, up. Whither? Oh, does yours not continue there? No, it doesn't. Mine says, whither, to supper? Oh. Oh, Romeo there. Um, well, translation. <laughs> uh, blip. Anyways, go on. Serving man, to our house. Whose house? My master's. Indeed, I should have asked you that before. Now I'll tell you without asking. My master's the great rich Capulet, and if you be not of the house of Montagues, I pray come and crush a cup of wine, rest you merry. And he exits. And then we have um, good old Benvolio and Romeo talking up a storm, but uh, essentially, so let's take that bit. Yeah. So um, they engage in a little bit of a... Uh, not really sure what they're talking about thing. They're kind of just like asking questions, but none of the questions are either A, specific, or B, being answered. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so serving that up, and Romeo's like, where? Where is, where is up? Because neither of them know of the other's um, house. The, uh, the serving man does not know Romeo as a, as a, as a whoa, is a cap, nope, a Montague, and <laughs> Romeo doesn't know that the servant is a Capulet. Yeah, um, and I like to think here... The servant is getting his little verbal witty revenge to Romeo's wordplay earlier. Absolutely. To our house. Whose house? My master's. Um, so the server, once again, being evasive as Romeo was previous. Um, Romeo, indeed, I should have asked you that before. I probably should have asked you who that was, who you were before we begun this discussion. And the serving man now will tell you without asking. So I will tell you so you don't have to ask. 
my master is the great rich capulet so pretty self-explanatory um i am a capulet and if you be not of the house of montagues i pray come and crush a cup of wine so if you're not a montague please come and have a cup of wine rest you merry have a good day and then he leaves he just leaves him with that little lovely chunk um was there anything you wanted to add no absolutely nothing love it okay <laughs> so <laughs> servant exits and we have benvolio and romeo uh same parts yeah <laughs> are you sure <laughs> yeah go for it okay so benvolio speaks at the same ancient feast of capulets seps the fair Rosalind, whom thou so lovest, with all the admired beauties of verona Go thither, and with untainted eye, compare her face with some that I shall show, and I will make thee think a swan a crow. Romeo then says, When the devout religion of mine eye maintains such falsehood, then turn tears to fires, and these who often drowned could never die, transparent heretics, but burnt for liars. One fairer than my love, the all-seeing sun ne'er saw her match since first the world begun. And then, uh, Benvolio, touch, you saw her fair, none else being by, herself poised with herself in either eye. But in that crystal scales, let there be weighed your lady's love against the mother maid, that I will show you shining at this feast, and she shall scant show well that now seems best. Romeo replies, or, I'll go along no such sight to be shown, but to rejoice in splendor of mine own. Exit, exunt. Now we and have. That is the end of scene two. That is the end of scene two. So, what's, uh, what's, what's going on? All right. So, um, we're back with the rhyming, of course, all the wordplay. So, um, in this first chunk of Benvolio's, he actually doesn't start rhyming until that couplet at the end. So, you've got Capulet's loves, Roan I, and then Show and Crow. Um, so, kind of um, ending off his. Uh, his chunk, also emphasizing that um, to those few lines, compare her face with some that I shall show, and that will make thee think thy swan a crow. So essentially, um, in this little paragraph, not really a paragraph, but he's saying, uh, at this same ancient feast of Capulets, sups the fair Rosalind, whom thou so lovest, with all the admired beauties of Verona. So he's saying that Rosalind, whom you love so much, will be at the Capulet feast, but also along with all of the beautiful women of Verona. Um, go thither and with untainted and objective eye compare her face with some that I shall show um, and I will make thee think thy swan a crow so go there, go to the party go to the feast and with an objective eye compare this Rosalind of yours to the other women and you will think her beauty is nothing um, a, a swan just uh, obviously um, associated with beauty and a crow um, not <laughs> so <laughs> So he was saying, you will think that Rosalind is not so beautiful anymore compared to all of these other beauties of Verona. I will mention, and I think we've sent it, said it accidentally, prematurely, but uh, this is actually the first time that Romeo's um, secret love interest is revealed to be Rosalind. Yes, it is. It is. Capulet's niece. What a catch. What a catch. Uh, we have, in fact, been called, we have been name dropping her the entire time we've been doing this, but it's not actually been mentioned in the play, in the play um, up to this point. So that's an important little uh, thing. But it was all, but that's probably because it was uh, listed on the letter. So now that uh, it has indirectly been name dropped, uh, this is just confirmation. That Benvolio that, um, knows and that the woman 
whom Romeo loves, is Rosalind. Now, uh, she is going to be at this feast, and we all think we're going to meet her. Spoiler alert, <laughs> we're not. Oh, how could you? So, right after that, we have go thither and with untainted eye. Unattainted eye. So, with unattainted eye, we have a double meaning in the world word unattainted. Whoa. Uh, two possible readings. Double meaning in the world of Shakespeare. Crazy. Into craziness. Unattainted can, it can mean um, an objective, which would suggest that Benvolio wants Romeo not to be corrupted by a bias for Rosalind. But uh, it could also mean not infected, which brings to mind his earlier metaphor of an eye infection in line 48. So, Love it. Or around there, varying on the version. There. Yeah. So Romeo says things. He says things. He does. When the devout religion of mine eye. Here, let me. So you've heard it once in the Shakespearean version. Let me turn it into English for you. <laughs> if I ever stop worshipping Rosalind, turn my tears into flames and burn my eyes like religious heretics. My love is as beautiful as the sun, and there's never been a woman more lovely in the history of the world. He's really yeah, digging into it. He's really just... And this is really funny, too. Um, ironic, you could say. Hysterical. As in the next few scenes, he forgets all about Rosalind. <laughs> so this devout religion of mine eye doesn't really last very long. Rowan, we don't know that yet. We don't, but we do. <laughs> but we so do. A play isn't called Romeo and Rosalind, is it? <laughs> no, no. Although I prefer that version. I'm sure you would. <laughs> the Friar and Juliet getting together no, that's a no. ship that i'd like to see happen benvolio we have more here tut you saw her fair we are on to the races so again i'm just gonna flip that around into english hey you only think she's beautiful because you haven't weighed her beauty against anyone else's now when you weigh her beauty against a woman i'll show you tonight Rosalind will hardly measure up. And there's more in that speech, more metaphors, crystal scales. But in the crystal scales, let her be weighed your lady's love against some other maid. So in this metaphor, Romeo's eyes are like the two sides of a balanced scale. When Romeo only has eyes for Rosalind, uh, um, it's as if her image is on both sides of the scales. But if one contains one girl and the other contains another beautiful woman, then Rosalind might not compare so well. So, excellent stuff. And then we have the rhyming verse of Romeo. Take it away, Rowan. I'll go along, no such sight to be shown, but to rejoice in splendor of mine own. So a little rhyming couplet to end up the scene. Um, so pretty much he's saying, I will go to the party. Um, I don't believe you will find me anybody more beautiful, but at least I will get to see Rosalind. Rosalind. Don't know why I put the D there. <laughs> um, but to rejoice in splendor of my mine own, so to uh, see the beauty that is my Rosalind, my splendor. And there you have it, folks. There is scene two, but we're not that done today. Two. We're not done, but we got through that one faster than we got through the first one. That's very true. That's I'm very true. Put that out there. That was only what forty-five minutes. Well, the last one took a solid hour and a half. It took two hours. It took two hours to do that. And this one took 45 minutes. Now, um, that being said, it was less than twice the length, less than half the length. True. 
But uh, yeah, so Act One, Scene Three. Are you ready, Rowan? I'm ready. I will say, didn't get through this scene with my preparation, so. Oh goodness! Well, I got through. I got through a good bit of it, and you know, context clues. It'll be fine. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, time to uh, do a little bit of carrying here. Go on. Wow. Do we want to start (laughs) off with um, our synopsis? Of course we do. Of course we do. Would you like to read it, or I would love to. I would love to. (laughs) Go for it. Scene three. Lady Capulet and the nurse call Juliet to enter the scene. Lady Capulet wants to talk to her daughter, Juliet, about the responsibility of marriage. They discuss the fact that Juliet still has two weeks left before her 14th birthday, but, as Lady Capulet points out, plenty of girls her age are mothers already. Juliet is open to marriage. Oh, yeah, no, it's excellent stuff. Um, for For that day, although she admits she hasn't thought much about it, Lady Capulet tells her that handsome Paris is interested in taking her as his wife. Juliet says she'll keep an open mind. In the meantime, the Capulet party has just begun. Great stuff. Shall we start? Of course we should. Would you like Lady Capulet or Nurse? Um, yeah, now there are some... I don't want to be talking to myself the entire time. There are a lot of people who portray Lady Capulet as evil, but, you know... Truly, truly evil. She ain't that bad. Maybe for we'll see. Time. She's she's in care. She's a she's in character for the time this was written in. <laughs> yes. So we have um, a stage direction. Things like this, we need to not read it and to the standards of our day and put ourselves in the position, the historical situation of the literature. Of course, and you just need to roll with the um, roll with the punches. Non-consent. But anyways, Lady Capulet. I'm using big boy AP words. Okay. Nurse, um, where is my daughter? Call her forth to me. Now, by my maidenhead, a 12-year-old, I bade her come. What lamb? What ladybird? God forbid. Where is this girl? What, Juliet? Enter Juliet. Do it. How now? Who calls? <laughs> your mother. Madam, I am here. What is your will? <laughs> Lady Capulet. This is the matter. Nurse, give us leave a while. We must talk in secret. What? Nurse, come back again. I have remembered me, thou hear our counsel. Oh, I have remembered me, thou hear our counsel. Thou knowest my daughter is of a pretty age. Faith, I can tell her age unto the hour. She's not fourteen. All I fourteen to my teeth, and yet to my teen be it spoken. I have but four. She's not fourteen. How long is it now to Lamas died? Lamas died? A fortnight and odd days. So, okay, let's take that bit. Let's take that chunk that we just barely managed to get through. Um, barely. Barely, barely, barely. So, Nurse Cap... Ooh, not Nurse Capulet. <laughs> That's quite the combination. Combula- <laughs> Jesus Christ. That's quite the combination right it's there. Late. It's so late. <laughs> combination Nurse Capulet. Okay, so... Bear with me here, folks. So we have um, Nurse, who who doesn't love Nurse? Who doesn't love Nurse? So who doesn't? She's like one of my favorites. Of course. Lady Capulet, Nurse, where's my daughter? Call her fourth to me. Very self-explanatory. And then we have... Um, the Nurse. Now by my maidenhead at 12-year-old, I bade her come. Aloud. So essentially, um, not to interrupt, 
Um, of course not. Essentially, uh, by my maidenhead, uh, we came across this little wordplay uh, earlier with the first scene with Samson and Gregory. Maidenhead again referring to her virginity when she was 12. So she's saying, I swear by my virginity at 12 years old. Which I wasn't already... that intact, I'd imagine, given the time. I swear I already told her to come. I already uh, summoned her. She's just being a little angsty teen and not coming. So, um, oh, yeah. so the nurse is um, oh, a little funny character in the play uh, and is constantly using the wrong word, as we'll see, with some funny consequences. Um, funny. This is known as a malaprop. This line, good example of a malaprop, normal expression to say would be swear by your head that something is true, meaning that if it's false, they can cut off your head. The nurse, however, of course, swears on her maiden head, her virginity, which you can't take from her since it's already been taken from her a long, long time ago. Probably when she was 12. Yeah. <laughs> so we've got... Uh, this is the second time in three scenes that we've had a maiden head little play. So uh, that should tell you all you need to know about it. <laughs> Good old Randy Shakespeare. Um, so with that, Juliet enters. Um, how now? Who calls? What is it? Who's calling? Uh, the nurse, your mother. So not much, not much there. <laughs> Great um, old analysis. Your mother. <laughs> your mother. All those triumphs. No. Or what? Um. And so Juliet says, mother, I am here. What would you like? And she says, here's the issue. Nurse, leave us alone for a while. We need to talk in private. Uh, To which she immediately says, Nurse, come back. On second thought, you should hear this discussion. You know my daughter is becoming a lovely young woman. So, yeah, essentially, um, what happens there is a bit of a... uh, It's really done in the acting, but every time I've seen this done, the Lady Capulet would like to speak to her daughter in private. The nurse goes to leave, and then realizing that she spends such a little amount of time with her daughter that it's difficult for them to strike up a normal conversation, she um, brings the nurse back in, acting as some sort of social lubricant. Yeah, so this scene really uh, kind of sets sets the tone, um, gives you an idea of what how these three characters interact and what their roles in the play are going to be. Um, so obviously you have Juliet setting up to be, um, married, eventually, as they are talking of marriage. You have Nurse, uh, who, being set up to be this kind of rambunctious character, who knows Juliet better than her own mother does, as, um, I'm not sure if it's said explicitly or left for, uh, readers to, um, kind of come to the conclusion that the nurse raised Juliet. Um, and the Lady Capulet, being um, such a high-standing woman that she is, was not able to and thus is not very close to her daughter, doesn't really know how to talk to her, and kind of needs the nurse to be a little bit of a middleman for them. Excellent. So, Um, we have Faith, I can tell her age unto an hour, which, um, pretty self-explanatory, I I can tell her age. Uh, Lady Capulet says she's not 14, to which the nurse says, I'll lay 14 of my teeth, and yet to my teen be it spoken, I have before, she's not 14. So essentially, uh, she would bet 14 of her teeth that she does not have, um, that she's not 14. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So so... it also kind of 
with that, you have a little bit of an idea of um, the nurses, like, uh, I'm going to say social standing, but she is a nurse to the Capulets, so she can't be that bad off. But just a little bit of, like, the societal, a little bit of a social reference, a cultural reference, I guess you could say, to the times they were living in. And the fact that the nurse, at, I believe, so young of age, uh, only has only four teeth left. <laughs> yeah. So. I don't know if that made any sense. I was trying to make a point there. I don't know if I made it. All <laughs> what you need to grasp is that uh, she would bet fourteen of her teeth. Admits that she only has four. That's pretty much it. Pretty much. Um, so, Lammas tide. So Lammas Lammas tide. That oh, is cool. a harvest festival of the time. Uh, On August first. How long is it to Lammas tide? A fortnight and odd days. So fortnight meaning two weeks, of course. And there's a word. There's the wordplay "odd" with um, the nurse's next line. So that is a good chunk of a speech. What would you like to do with it? Um, I could read it. <laughs> sure. Sure. Um. Hey, how about you end at? Let's see. To bid me trudge. Do you see that right in the middle of the speech? I'll see you when I come to it, because my laptop's being a little bit slow right now. Fair enough. Okay, oh, go no, for I it. it. I see it. Okay, cool. Even or odd, of all days in the year, come Lama's Eve at night, sh shall she be 14. Susan and she, God rest all Christian souls, were of an age. Well, Susan is with God. She was too good for me. But as I said, on Lama's Eve at night, shall she be 14. That shall she. Mary, I, rem I remember it well. Tis since the earthquake now eleven years, and she was weaned, I never shall forget it, of all the days of the year upon that day. For I had then laid warm wood to my dug, sitting in the sun under the dove house wall. My lord and you were then at Mantua, nay I do bear a brain. Whoa. Uh, nay I do bear a brain. But, as I said, when it did twist the warm wood on the nipple, on, on the nipple of my dug, and felt it bitter, pretty fool, to see it touchy and fall out with the dug. Shake, quoth the dove house, t'was no need. I trow to bid me trudge. Wow. Yeah, there's a. <laughs> she does, doesn't she? But that's what we love she about does. her, just like it me. Is. The fact that that is legit only half of the speech. <laughs> so, at the very beginning, a fortnight and odd days, says Lady Capulet, to which the very beginning of Nurse's speech, even or odd, of all days in the year. So, wordplay with the word odd. So, the nurse frequently, of course, misinterprets the words of others and misuses her own. So, odd can be can mean a few, which the Lady Capulet's meaning two weeks and a few days. But the nurse humorously thinks that she's referring to it as odd as supposed to be an even number of days. Like, odd to an even number of days. So... Even or odd, of all days of the year, come Lammas Eve at night, shall she be fourteen. So, um, do you have anything about that bit up until God rest all Christian souls? If not, I have a cultural reference for you. I don't. You continue. <laughs> cultural reference, infant mortality. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! So basically, well, Susan why is with God. Why, why were you so excited? I because I I always get excited about my infant mortality, as we all do here at the Anything and Everything podcast. So, 
were of an age. Well, Susan is with God. She was too good for me. So infant mortality, what does that mean? So what we gather from this is that apparently the nurse had a daughter named Susan who died in childhood. This was not unusual, of course, in Shakespeare's day. Only slightly more than half of newborns would survive to reach Juliet's age. So, yes, the hidden child of Susan. Infant mortality okay. there for you, folks. Love it. Great I promised. <laughs> and I delivered. You did indeed. So, we have that segment. But as I said on Lammas Eve, at night shall she be 14. That shall she. Mary so, again, is in reference to Mary, the mother of Jesus. The the you, haha. <laughs> The nurse uses it as a mild oath to add intensity to her statement, although Mary can, of course, be mean in Shakespeare's day as Mary as an exclamation. Um, but yes, it is the mother Mary. Tis since the earthquake now eleven years, and she was weaned, I never shall forget it, of all the days of the year upon that day. So, for whatever reason... Maybe, uh, well, we are getting a little bit of a hint as to um, the nurse's motherly tendencies here. Her, um, I guess she was a nurse, so it was kind of her point, her job. Um, uh, Tis since the earthquake, now 11 years. It's been 11 years since the earthquake. Um, it's been 11 years since uh, she was weaned. Uh, so she stopped breastfeeding, and apparently the nurse will never forget it, and goes off to um, recant that day and uh how she went about weaning her in explicit detail explicit detail for it's it's not necessary <laughs> it, it isn't it is not it's 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 really not so um well have you any more or shall i go on you can go on this is kind of where i stopped getting all my notes in um, <laughs> okay <laughs> big chunk so the next bit uh, I can mention here, it's pretty much self... Well, I'm going right off of what you said. Um, laid wormwood to my dug. So here's another cultural reference. So wormwood, which is one of the ingredients in an alcoholic beverage called absinthe. Beverage. Um, beverage is a bitter herb. So the nurse is using it to wean the baby, Juliet, from breastfeeding, which, you know, dug is in reference to that um <laughs> yeah no comment uh at the base i i'm again folks sorry if you cringe a lot um but it is shakespeare Listen, it's not our fault <laughs> breasts abound that's what i say um okay my lord and you were then at mantua nay i do bear a frame so essentially she's kind of um pointing out the fact here that uh, Lady and Lord Capulet were not very present in um, Juliet's infantry in her childhood, and that the nurse really did take on um, a parental role for Juliet. Um, so saying that apparently, it, so she's she's essentially um, implying that this is a very important um, day. This is very monumental, and uh, her parent, her her biological parents at least were not there for it. Um, but as I said, when it did taste the wormwood on the nipple, so, you know, actually saying what it is now, <laughs> not just Doug. So, you know, getting that there. Um, of my Doug and felt bitter, pretty fool to see it touchy and fall out with the Doug. So, 
um, this is pretty self-explanatory. Um, Juliet ta- uh, tasted the wormwood, and it was bitter. She didn't like it. She spit it out. Um, <laughs> and so she... disliked <laughs> breasts from that day forward. <laughs> really just ruined it for her. Really <laughs> that whole experience. <laughs> the whole experience ruined with a little bit of wormwood. Not um, going to... I'm not going to dig around there because I feel that uh, that could be used against me in a court of law. <laughs> but uh, yeah. uh, to uh, feel the techy, techy means irritated, and fall out with the dove. So, shake, quoth, spoke, uh, the dove house. Twas no need. I trow, I swear, to bid me trudge, to bid me move. And now we have the second half of this speech. What would you like to do with it? Would you like to read it? I, I would like to read it. I believe that would be the option, the best route to take here. Go for it. And since that time, it is 11 years. For then, she could stand high alone, nay, by the root, have run and waddled all about, and even the day before she broke her brow, and then my husband, God be with his soul, he was a merry man, took up the child. Yea, quoth he, dust that fall upon thy face, thou wilt back. Thou, thou wilt fall backwards when thou hast more wit, wilt thou not, Jewel? And by my holodam, the pretty wench le- wretch left crying and said, I, to see now how a jest shall come about, I warrant, and I should live a hundred years, I never should forget it. Wilt thou not, Jewel, quoth he, and pretty fool it stinted, and said I. Okay, a lot to go into. So, a lot. and since that time, it is eleven years very by the book uh for then she could stand alone nay by the rood so this means yes i swear by the cross essentially uh she could have run and waddled all about for even the day before she broke her brow hurt her forehead um and then my husband god be with his soul a who was a merry man he's also very dead yeah, so this nurse is uh not uh not endured the best of lives. Nope. And it's only gonna get worse. But um. <laughs> she seems to be merry or just performing the duties of an Irish Catholic and just quashing all of that deep down inside. Um it's we don't okay know. It's never revealed. God. When there's when there's God, everything's fine. Don't show emotion. You'll be okay. Um, <laughs> Yea, quoth he, dost thou fall upon thy face? So he, she's recounting um, a memory she's had about her she's, now she's dead husband. Um, on the way that her dead husband interacted with the child. Depressing. That, <laughs> that will fall <laughs> backward when thou hast more smarts or wit, is what it says. Wilt thou not, Jewel? And I swear by my holodame, meaning holy lady, um, the pretty wretch left, quit, crying, and said, Hey, or I, to see now how a jest shall come about, I warrant, guarantee, and if I should live a thousand years, I never should forget it. Wilt thou not, Jewel, quoth he, and pretty fool, it stinted, stopped, and said, I. So clearly this memory is stirring up a lot of emotions for the nurse as she essentially is just kind of repeating that same little chunk of um, what happened again 
And of course, we love the nurse here, but she does not know what brevity is. <laughs> no. Yeah, to take uh, from like Polonius, of all people, brevity is the soul of wit, and she, my God. Uh, I like to imagine you just kind of crying here, because then it makes me sad. Yeah, don't cry, Capulet. save it for after the podcast. Of course, of course. Lady Capulet, as many of us probably have, has had enough. <laughs> and literally says, yeah. enough of this. I pray thee, hold thy peace. For the love of all that is good and holy in this world, please stop talking. <laughs> please shut up. And then the nurse replies, um, with what seems to be another bit of a speech here, uh, not as long. Yes, madam, yet I cannot choose to laugh to think it should leave crying and say I. And yet I wore, to had upon its brow a bump as big as a young cockerel stone, a perilous knock, and it cried bitterly. Yea, quoth my husband, falst upon thy face. Thou wilt fall backward when thou comest to age. Will thou not jewel? It's dinted and said I. Once again, repeating that same little chunk of dialogue. As if we would forget that. <laughs> as said as I. if we were forget. As if we would forget. So, yes, madam, yet I cannot choose but laugh to think that it should leave, stop again, crying and say I. And yet I warrant it had upon its brow a bump as big as a young cockerel's stone. Now, what does that mean? Uh, well, I'll tell you, Rowan. Um, <laughs> Please do, I beg. So, again, there's no <laughs> there's no way to put this, right? <laughs> there's no good... <laughs> there's not. Just So, a young cockerel's stone. Well, so... <laughs> so... Um, Okay. The many a uh, translation and thought process on this I could find was essentially the testicle of a young rooster. Yeah. <laughs> a perilous. And here you are. Terrible. You are implying that, in comparison to a young child's forehead, it is quite large. Yeah. Apparently, a uh, testicle of a young rooster is huge. Who to thunk? Who to thunk? I never looked. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> I would have certainly. I, I never double checked. Um, a perilous knock and it cried bitterly. Uh, I have no more analysis for the rest of that segment. Would do you? I I don't. It's pretty self-explanatory. For the first time ever, to which Juliet says, "And stint thou too." I pray thee, nurse, say I. I forgot you were doing the deep. <laughs> yeah, Juliet had some uh, steroids before. So, so the, this um, line right here, and stint thou too, I pray thee, nurse, say I. Juliet's essentially saying, for the love of God, part two, shut up. So, yeah, not only that, it ties back into innuendo. This is a long string of broken text, essentially, throughout the uh, past few little segments, which all amounts to this. And innuendo, it's stinted and said I. So, as we've said, that's been repeated multiple, multiple times. And allow me to uh, indulge. The nurse finds this story of young Juliet falling off her face, falling on her face, funny. On her face. <laughs> falling <laughs> off of her face. Falling on her face, funny. The nurse's husband tries to uh, pacify the crying toddler. Oh, you fell on your face? Well, when you grow up, you'll fall on your back. Won't you, little jewel, meaning Juliet? When Juliet replied, yep, or I, it sounded as if she understood the husband's intended second meaning. 
that when Juliet gets to be a woman, she won't be falling on her face anymore, but she'll be falling on her back. So, of course, she can... <laughs> so, <laughs> so, right back. Um, we circle back. So, the, yeah, that's where the innuendo comes in, right? Consistent uh, innuendo. So that she can uh, indulge in creating a I beast with two backs. I don't think we need to... Um, get any further into that now we can understand why lady capulet and juliet are so irritated that the nurse keeps repeating this story quiet um (laughs) getting on hunter earlier for the oddly sexual connotations he should he's taken many a note from the nurse yeah so again speaking of the nurse she replies peace i have done god mark thee to his grace that was the prettiest babe that e'er i nursed and i might live to see thee married once i have my wish so finally, she agrees to uh, stop. She, she she's done. She's she said her piece. Or so uh, we think. Or so we think. <laughs> um, God mark thee to His grace. So. Um, God choose thee for His grace. Uh, that was the prettiest babe I ever nursed. Yeah. So you are pretty baby. <laughs> very pretty baby and lady capulet says mary that mary is the very theme i came to talk of tell me daughter juliet how stands your disposition to be married which is pretty much by the book very self-explanatory no twisted language there disposition inclination um there is a little bit of wordplay there that mary that mary mm. so you have that first mary being um in a reference to the biblical character and then the second mary being um the verb marriage just a little fun double meaning there (laughs) a little fun Uh, rowdy time a little fun um all right uh puberty juliet would you like to um (laughs) puberty yes juliet uh hit some um cockerel (laughs) stones here and It is an honor that I dream not of, says Juliet. An honor? Not I thine only nurse. I would say thou hast sucked... Whoa. (laughs) I would say thou hast sucked wisdom from thy teat. Um, Good old Shakespeare right here. Anyways, um, (laughs) so we have a proverb there, a lovely little proverb. Thou hast sucked wisdom from thy teat. When asked how she felt about being married, Juliet replied that uh, she doesn't dream of that honor because honor sounds a lot like on her. The nurse thought that Juliet was making a clever pun by saying that she doesn't dream of having a man on her. So (laughs) uh, the nurse then references the proverb, he sucked evil from the dug, which uh, was used to describe someone who's evil from the day he was born. The nurse says that instead of sucking evil, Juliet must have sucked wittiness, wisdom, when she was just being nursed. Except the nurse knows that this can't be the case, since hers was the only teat which Juliet sucked. And she she doesn't consider herself a witty person. Of course, nurse is unaware of how funny she actually is with her unintentional malaprops. Um, so there's that. That's There's not much there. So um, shall we continue? Yes, of course. Lady Capulet says, Well, think of marriage now. Younger than you were in Verona, ladies of esteem, 
are made already mothers. By my account, I was your mother much upon these years that you are now a maid. Thus, then, in brief, the valiant Paris seeks you for his love. So again, harping on the fact that there are um, girls younger than Juliet already with children, um, thinking that that is going to magically make Juliet want to get married at such a young age. Yeah, so... A uh, nurse, a man, young lady, lady, such a man as all. Why he's a max? Whoa, why he's a man of wax? So, good old men of wax. <laughs> oh, gotta love them. <laughs> <laughs> so excellent. Nurse goes on. Lady Capulet, Verona's summer hath not such a flower. Nay, he's a flower in faith, a very flower. Okay, and that's just like the tiniest bit, but I would like to stop because Lady Capulet launches into something. So, guess what we have. Can you guess, Rowan? Is it a proverb? Nope. Say it with me. Oh. Innuendo. Innuendo. Wax and flower. I think you're getting where I'm going. So the nurse describes Paris as a man of wax, meaning that he's handsome as a statue. And then she enthusiastically agrees with Lady Capulet's description of him as a flower. But to wax means to swell, as in a waxing moon. And to flower means to sprout. Shakespeare's audience would have heard the nurse's comments as a sexual innuendo of an aroused man swelling and sprouting. <laughs> I'm, look, I, I don't know what to tell you. I do not know what to tell you. It's like you read it and you know it's like you don't really like dive into it, but then you hear it said. Oh, boy. And it sounds so ridiculous. Yeah, um, well, especially the way I phrase it. Especially the way you phrase it. Lady Capulet with her speech. Here we go. What say you? Can you love the gentleman? This night you shall behold him at our feast. Read o'er the volume of young Paris's face, and find a light writ there with beauty's pen. Examine every merry lineament. Uh, oh no, lineament. There we go. And see how one another lends content. And what obscured with his fair volume lies, find written in the margent of his eyes the precious book of love, this unbound lover, to beautify him, only lacks a cover. The fish lives in the sea, and his much pride for fair without the fair within to hide. And that book in many's eyes doth share the glory that in gold clasps lock in the golden story. So shall you share all that he doth possess by having him making yourself no less. A lot there! I'd like to start off by saying we once again have um, our um, rhyming uh, that is characteristic of the nobles. Bring back um, the rhymey wimey. So, um, not so much in those first four lines, but then it kind of starts up here with lineament, content, lies, eyes, lover, cover, pride, hide, glory, story, possess, less. Yeah. Um, and she's so, trying to grasp her attention once again with a powerful little speech of rhyming verse. Excellent. So, all right. What say you? Do you wanna... love the gentleman? Um, I'm sorry. Oh, nothing. Continue. 
What say you? Can you love the gentleman? Very self-explanatory. Read o'er the volume, the book of young Paris's face, and find a light writ there with beauty's pen. Examine every lineament, attach drawing, and see how one another lends content. Content. Uh, each one. So, here we go. We have wordplay here. Oh, love the word. Content, so volume, good. married, lineament. Uh, the lines make use of several moments of wordplay to offer two possible interpretations. So Lady Capulet wants Juliet to read Paris like a book or a volume in which the subject matter, content, is a, uh, adorned with harmonious and beautiful illustrations, married, lineament. The second meaning could be the shape, volume, of Paris's face with its harmonious features, married lineaments, will make her happy. So, yeah, a little bit of wordplay. And then after that, we immediately hop into yet more wordplay. Um, obscured can mean hidden, as in, oh, uh, let me preface this by saying, and what obscured in this fair volume lies, find written in the margin of his eyes. That is what we are looking at. And That's what pretty it, lines. It's very pretty. Obscure, <laughs> obscured can mean hidden, as in Paris's true nature is hidden in his face. Uh, but the word can also mean difficult to understand, of course. And obscure passages, passages in a book are often explained by notes in the margin, or in the case of Paris's face, written in the margin of his eyes. So essentially here, comparing Paris to that of a book to read and to discover, um really just trying to make Paris seem like the... Trying to make marrying Paris seem much better than it's going to be. He's never given a chance, poor Paris. Yeah, well. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> Metaphor. Unbound. So right after this, we have this precious book of love, this unbound lover, to beautify him, only lacks a cover. And we have a metaphor here. Um, to be unbound is to not be legally obligated as Paris is not legally bound in matrimony yet. But continuing the extended metaphor, the word can also refer to bookbinding. So, of course, that's what it comes down to. And the fish lives in the sea. What is it, Rowan? Say it with me. An innuendo. Nope, it's a proverb. This proverb oh is another... <laughs> <laughs> The, the fish lives oh in the sea. God. This proverb is another way of referring to the obvious natural know. or best condition of something. So the fish lives in the sea because that's where the fish belongs. So no, it's not an innuendo, you sick, dirty bastard. Um, <laughs> listen. <laughs> listen, listen, listen. Let's talk about this. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about it. Outside beauty to hide the eloquence within, fair without the fair within to hide. So, yeah, a, a lot going on here. Um, the only thing I have left is that in gold clasps lock in the golden story. So this is just a few lines down, which means translated into normal English. With the gold clasps which lock in the golden story, proper word order, I should say. That's it for me in that speech. Do you have anything? Um, I will say those last two lines. Um, so shall you share all that he doth possess by having him making yourself no less? Um, I just think that's a nice little line. She's essentially saying here, um, with marrying him, you will get to share 
his secrets, his possessions, taking it literally. Um, you know, he's she's going on this whole rant about how uh, Paris is that of a book for her to um, examine and explore. So uh, you've got that, share all he doth possess, you know, kind of sharing his life. And then by having him, making yourself no less. So assuring that with the marriage of Paris, with the marriage to Paris, she will not have to uh, shrink herself or like make herself less than she is just because she's getting married, as is probably common for the time. Yeah, and in fact, as you said, she gains. So then the nurse says, No less, nay, bigger, women grow by men. Okay, and I'd just like to stop you right there because the last line of a Capulet speech and the beginning of Nurse, no less nay bigger women grow by men, yet more wordplay. These lines provide so another what? moment of inadvertent wordplay. Mm. <laughs> Here, Lady Capulet means that uh, Juliet will not be less of a person once she's married to Paris. The nurse turns the idea body by implying that Juliet will literally, literally grow, get bigger, with pregnancy. I love the way you said that. <laughs> no, it's just like the 16th time. By pregnancy. <laughs> She's mentioned this. Like, come on, nurse. What are you doing? Oh, and then ca Capulet and uh, overly roided Juliet. Speak briefly. Can you like of Paris's love? To which Juliet replies... I'll look to like, if looking liking move, but no more deep will I indart mine eye than your consent gives strength to make it fly. Now, that is a That's very, a really, very famous line. A, it is, and it's a really nice one. I'll look to like, if looking liking move. <clears throat> <laughs> uh, looking liking move, meaning good looks, because... Uh, Good looks cause you to like someone. That's the proper word order of that. And the metaphor of, but no more deep lie and dart my eye than your consent gives strength to make it fly. So this metaphor is similar to that of Cupid shooting someone in the heart with his arrow. So here, when a beautiful woman casts her penetrating gaze upon a man, it's as if her eyes were projecting darts that stab the young man's heart, causing him to fall in love. Being an obedient daughter, Juliet is not going to cast her seductive gaze on Paris without her mother's consent. Well, so, I look to um, like if looking liking move. So, I'll expect to like him. I will try to like him. Um, if I like his looks. If good looks cause you to like someone. Yeah, if I like what I see. <laughs> Three um, more passages. We're getting there. Enter the servant. Uh, I will go ahead and take this. Madam, the guests are come. Supper served up. You called, my lady asked for the nurse, cursed in the pantry and everything in extremity. I must hence to wait, I beseech you. Follow straight. Okay. Um, let's go over that. Um, yeah, it's not much. Essentially, he's just informing Lady Capulet that the feast uh, will be beginning shortly. The guests are have arrived. Supper has been served. Dinner has been served. Um, they, the family has been asked to show up, to come down, to um, make their presence known, you could say. The nurse cursed in the pantry and everything in extremity. Uh, so here, she's essentially saying, 
extremity could be interchangeable with chaos here. So, and everything in chaos. Um, I must hence to wait. I beseech you, follow straight or straight away. Little rhyming couplet to end off there. Uh, uh, Well, not really a couplet. It just kind of rhymes because you got hence to wait, follow straight, which is odd for um, server, but. No. Yeah. Well, yeah. And then uh, that concludes his part in the scene, at least. His one little moment of spotlight. Um, Lady Capulet then says, We follow thee, Juliet. The county stays. So, essentially, Juliet, Paris is waiting for you. So, um, go get your man. Go get your man. Go, girl. Seek happy nights to happy days. And they all exit. Okay, okay. That last line is very self-explanatory, of course. Go, girl. Seek happy nights to happy days. Go be happy, essentially. There we go. Go find someone to make you happy. Exunt. Oh my gosh, how did we do that? Um, Very well, Uh, that's how we did it. Excellently. I'm sure anyone who's made it this far is definitely going to applaud us. And uh, yeah, join the Discord server. What a segue. What a segue. What a segue. <laughs> what a segue. Um, yeah. So that was that. That was... Hunter um, just our... applauded us. I think that's uh, good enough. Good enough for me. We're at yeah. one hour, 29 minutes. And with that, um, Rowan, are you ready to plug everything and anything that we own? I see what you did there, and I love it. <laughs> um, I am. So we have a Instagram, we have YouTube, we have a Spotify, um, we have a Discord server, all of which will be linked um, in the description of wherever you are consuming this. Um, Instagram, YouTube, uh, all the Anything and Everything podcast, or maybe it's the Anything and Everything show, one of the two. Um, podcast. <laughs> and then podcast. Love it. And Both then are searchable. The Discord, Discord is the same. Uh, there should be a link in the description of this podcast that you are listening to right now. Um, yeah, join, follow, join, subscribe. follow, talk follow to Hunter. Him. He, 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 he needs friends. We, we, we got Hunter here and, uh, yeah, talk to Hunter. He's, he's free to talk to and, um, would love your input. I'm sure he would. We've come to the end of our time, haven't we? have hunter is typing and oh it's not negative yes i would i thought that after i need friend oh he agrees okay all right so an unexpected turn of events to end out this show an unexpected turn of events thank you all very much for listening if you have made it this far and check out those links join the discord do all that stuff and thank you very much oh in the weeks to come we should should be finishing act one we should be finishing Act 1 next week, week after that. We should have a Halloween episode. Halloween surprise. Halloween surprise. Um, so much fun. And then um, I believe the plan for now is November will be uh, up to a discussion. And then we will be, and then we will be resuming with uh, our Romeo and Juliet analysis in the month after. So December. Yeah. Uh, keep your eye out for any content ahead possibly every content every piece of content ahead i was trying to fit it in there did not work thank you all very much for listening it worked it it worked very well it did
and we will see you in the coming weeks. Good night, bye. <laughs>